Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Hey everyone, so before we get into today's episode, I just want to tell you about a great opportunity. You see, we've had a massive interest lately in learning a second language, and I do a lot of my language training with my very good friend Ollie Richard. We've been friends for three or four years now, and he's been on my program, and I've been on his program, and he spoke at my conferences, and I've spoke at his conferences, and he really is a genius. His techniques for teaching languages are just out of this world. He actually makes it fun and enjoyable. He was one of the main drivers for me rekindling my interest in Spanish. And under his tutelage and his advice and using his programs, I went from really crummy Spanish to quite fluent in a really short amount of time. So if you are looking to learn a second language or maybe even a third language, what I want you to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language forward slash language, and it's going to redirect you to some of all these best courses out there in the world. And there's some special promotions going on, some special opportunities for subscribers of my podcast. So I hope you take us up on this offer and go and check it out. That's expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language to get the best resources in the world for learning a second language. Okay, let's get into today's episode. Enjoy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show, and today's guest is the founder and CEO of Parlor Social Media. If you're not yet familiar with Parlor, you soon will be. They're getting a ton of traction. It's an American microblogging and social media network service launched in August of 2018. Parlor believes that people are entitled to security, privacy, and freedom of expression. Parlor encourages people to speak freely and express themselves openly without fear of being deplatformed for their views. I am really, really excited about today's conversation. This is something we haven't covered before on the podcast, so this should be a good one. Please welcome to the show, John Mates. John, how are you? Awesome. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure. John, why don't you take a minute and kind of talk us through your backstory? How did you get working in this and and specifically Parlor? Like, I mean, this is pretty... Uh, different and out there stuff, I would say. Well, I could I could bore you with all the details going back to like you know all my contracting jobs that I had, but basically I was a software engineer and contractor, and I decided it was a good idea to try to take on all the biggest social media companies. And I was I thought you know this isn't a problem, we can do this. And so there was three of us in the beginning, um, my uh, former college roommate Jared. Uh, me and uh, my brother, uh, we ended up getting some seed money from some good friends of mine, and we started a commenting platform that ended up being a social media. And so the idea originally was to uh, take on these commenting platforms that are on media outlets who are tracking a lot of data and capturing a lot of data about people, as well as restricting the conversations on these third-party sites. Turns out it's a really, really busy uh, and competitive industry. And we would have been commenting platform number like a million and a half. So we decided, let's go ahead. We already built the infrastructure for social media. Instead of making it about commenting, let's take on you know Twitter. Let's take on Facebook. Let's take on YouTube. And so that's what we started to do. And we thought, this is easy. These Silicon Valley people are totally full of themselves. Whatever they can do, 
we can do so much better. And that was completely wrong uh, from the get-go. We can do it better and we will do it better. But it's not as easy as I thought it would be. <laughs> well, so you got <laughs> two, sure. two of the three parts. The easy yes. part is the one. Okay. Yes, we can do it. It's just it's going to be uh, a lot of effort and a lot of work and a lot of working ourselves 24 hours almost a day, it feels like at this point. Waking up in the middle of the night, checking my phone to make sure something didn't go wrong and everything's going as to plan. <laughs> so it's crazy. It's been a ride. Well, okay. So I've been on the platform for several months now, and, and I want to get into uh, you know my experience with it, but we'll do that in a little bit. Um, I First of all, I can totally understand being panicked because I've seen the massive influx of people that you guys have gotten, especially around the election time. Now, I don't know any of the numbers, but I heard rumors that you guys basically doubled the, the, the user base of your clients within like a couple of weeks, which took you months or maybe a year to get or something like that. Yeah, the timeline was uh, 2018. We launched the apps in like August or September, uh, Apple and iPhone. We didn't even have a website until 2019. Randomly at the end of 2018, I met with some conservative influencer at a lunch, uh, totally by accident. I just was going to the lunch and I met with this person who I guess was at the time famous. I had no idea who these people were because I don't, unless I've met somebody, I really don't know who they are. You can tell me celebrities, you can tell me sports athletes, anything. I will have no idea who you're talking about until I actually meet them. And so this was one of those cases. I told them about the app. Next thing I know, they're tweeting about it to like a couple million people that were following them or something. And in 2018, we had some servers in the back of a warehouse in Las Vegas in a really seedy part of town. Like, you know, you go outside. I, I, I literally am not kidding. At one point, there was a literal gunfight in the parking lot. So this is not a good part of town. Uh, and uh, we're hosting the service. Now, millions of people are, getting, are looking at it. Uh, in 2018, we crashed instantly and like permanently. So 2018 <laughs> was a failure. Uh, Just a giant write-off, eh? <laughs> that, was the, that was the wake-up call. <laughs> right. December 2018. Uh, you know, we had things like Fox News hosts. We had the president's social media team looking at it. All sorts of people in 2018 were jumping on there like, why is why are people pitching the site? It's just a, it's a hot mess. It doesn't even have a website. And so from there, we started picking it up. We started to, to grow things out. We started to actually plan. Uh, and um, I think by the end of 2019, we had a few hundred thousand people. Uh, you know, the beginning of 2020, we were, you know, excited about crossing a million people, uh, you know, by the beginning of 2020. Now, uh, between uh, March of 2020 to now, we have grown from a few million accounts to now over 12 million accounts. And so, and, uh, and even just in September, we only had 4 million accounts. And so now, you know, just in a matter of, uh, and I think most of the growth happened in October in a, in a one week period, uh, from 4 million now to over 12 million. And so it was extremely, uh, you know, high volume of growth in a very short period of time. And how are the servers? Are they, have you had any more crashes or a lot things? of them? Oh, no, geez. no, no. We, we, we actually, even during the latest growth period, we didn't actually have a full crash. We had a couple of slowdown events, but uh, we've actually in the last year crashed less than Twitter and less than, uh, than some of the other competitors that we have. We've had some serious slowdowns and we've had a lot of glitches as a result of the growth, but we haven't had a complete crash, which I'm proud of, uh, especially after 2018 was uh, that performance and accidental growth. Well, so. I mean, it's a startup. Like this is not fully flushed out. You don't have a decade behind you like some of the other big tech companies. I mean, I think people, well, I would guess that people are pretty forgiving of that and understanding that this is new and kind of experimental stuff. Or am I wrong? Yeah. No, I mean, you're right. Uh, look, at they've got tens of years behind their software and billions of dollars. We have, you know, some angel investment money. Um, now we've actually got a lot of capital at our disposal. And that was only recently, right? This, it was been inv angel investment money for about, you know, two years. And now we're, we have real money, which is great to actually have, but they've got tens of years of real capital, real people behind them. We've got a few months. And so we're going to be seeing some really serious growth and some serious cool features coming out. 
but um, it's going to be coming in the near term. Until then, people understand that there has been glitches and that this stuff is happening. It's relatively new. And what we are is a serious, uh, we're a paradigm shift. So contrary to what the media tells you, because the media is so hyper-partisan, you've got the left and the right and they, they you know, in the United States, because it's a political, right now it's fairly political, um, and they hate each other. And so you got one side saying, oh, the racist, evil people. And the other side's like, no, this is, you know, you guys are fascists. And so like the, you got people fighting each other, right? And then somehow we're sitting here in the middle and we're like, no, what we want it to be is a paradigm shift. We want people to be able to speak freely. We don't want anybody telling you what you can say or what you can't say. We want you to own your own data. We don't want to be selling your data. We don't want to give it away. We want to keep it private. We want to solve all of the problems that everybody's concerned about with big tech, which is their censorship and their privacy abuses. We want to change that. And so it's a new paradigm. It's a new business model. Everything about it is new. And so it is difficult to run a free speech platform online because you're going to encounter things that nobody else has because they're all micromanaging the content and what people are talking about. Combine all of that with a hyper-partisan media and a lot of crazy people trying to politicize something that isn't political by nature, by being neutral, that's not political, but I guess it's a political stance to say we support free speech and privacy is apparently very controversial in 2020. Uh, who would have known? Which is but... so scary in its own right. <laughs> it is scary. Which is so scary. But I mean, it's funny because I mean, you go on the platform or I've gone on the platform and if I put things that are non-political out, they're like, I get all these comments like, what the hell are you talking about? This platform is for Republicans and Republicans only to talk about the election. And I'm like, actually, I know John. I, I know the founder. I know a bunch of the team. They clearly told me that they wanted to, you know, branch out from that. And they don't want it just to be about one niche event or one niche thing here. Yeah, I, I like using it to post personal things, Instagram style stuff, like big pictures and videos and fun things. Uh, I don't get that kind of hate that you do on, on branching away from the political, but you also have something that is somewhat political in the United States, uh, which is you're talking about offshoring, you're talking about you know, going to places where you can, you know, kind of make a better situation for yourself. Basically, what you're talking about is the a competitive free market on a global scale for everything <laughs> in your life. Yeah. And for very patriotic Republican conservatives, they're probably sitting here going, you know, what you're doing is unpatriotic. Oh, and absolutely. so that's probably I get what... called a traitor and um, a grifter. I had to actually look up the word grifter. And uh, <laughs> it's been quite an experience yeah. in my the, my couple of months in Parler. But it's the funny. Reality, like, I laugh at a lot of this stuff, like genuinely. The, laugh. the reality is, is you know, free speech isn't exactly uh, like it's a little bit messy, right? That's why we create tools for people to be able to get rid of this stuff. And so we're going to have more and more tools. We realize the extent of the tools we need now is far more than I had previously thought. So like, you know, w one thing is we want to put an AI tool in so people can like automatically be able to filter out haters. And so they could say a toxicity filter and all this stuff where we don't, as a platform, we don't do it. So anybody can say what they want, but if someone's toxic, you can hit the button and it'll automatically filter them all out for you. Things like that. I use word filters already. Okay. Which is like if so somebody give me a couple says, of example of those. I use uh, word filters of follow me because I don't like people spamming my comment section. I've got over almost five hundred thousand followers on Parlor. So when I post something and someone's like follow me, follow, I'm like just get out of here. I don't want you advertising in my comments. Like, yeah, for sure. Go away. Uh, people who say the f bomb, I typically drop them out pretty quick. So just some simple word filters. It keeps out most of the haters. Well, and it's interesting to go back to your earlier point because. I mean, people in today's day and age, and, and I'm going to make a generalization, but it seems to be that when they hear free speech, it means that they can say anything they want. And I'm like, okay, you can say anything you want, but it doesn't mean you should say everything. It's like, I mean, like, you know, I would hope that you have, you know, a family or a community or a church or a parents or someone who would kind of teach you manners and like how to treat and converse with other human beings. But then you get these random people 
fake profile, fake, fake name, fake picture, fake everything like that. And they just get on and troll you. And it happens on all platforms. I'm not saying that it's exclusive to Parler by any means. It, it, it's it's worse yeah. on Twitter for this audience. Oh, really? Way. Okay. If you are a, and I and I am not a conservative. I don't call myself a conservative. I, I'm I call myself more of a libertarian. Um, I didn't vote in this election. I'm not taking sides in this entire thing. Um, and I don't mean to piss anybody off who's for Trump or Biden or anybody. I just don't really want anything to do with it. Like I, I am neutral. Not my platform. The platform's neutral, and I'm neutral on this. Um, but that being said, um, just because you can say something doesn't mean you should. And uh, the conservatives on Twitter have it the worst. They get assaulted. They get death threats. They get told they're scum. They need to be deleted from society. And Twitter allows that to happen. They're they're fine with that. And so this audience likes the idea of Parler because if somebody does say these awful, awful things to them, they can fight back at least to a certain extent, or they just don't exist on where we're at. You know, you don't see that kind of hatred. And so for them, it's like a sanctuary to get away from it. And that's, I think, part of what they like. Now, also the idea of free speech. You can talk about the vaccine. You can talk about uh, with COVID and everything. You can talk about the election. You can talk about whether you think that the election was fair or not. These are all topics that people get to speak about today that they can't on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or these other places that are controlled by authoritarians who are, frankly, trying to push an agenda. And anybody who thinks that they're not trying to push and put an agenda, I think has a, they're, they're kind of their head in the sand because they are. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, this thing that we're seeing of independent fact checkers I mean, it's scary. Like, if you go back and read 1984, I mean, what did they call them there? Like, the thought police? And it was literally, they censor everything. And now it's like, it's happening in real life. Like, it's, it's happening right now everywhere. I was even seeing they were doing it on Donald Trump's posts. And I was like, Jesus. Oh, they're, like, they're hitting him like crazy. Like every po- it's, it's like someone just took a shotgun and took it to his Twitter feed. I mean, and they're just splattering him with fact checks. I mean, I get some of it because, you know, I understand why some people could not like him. I also understand why people could like him. And so I understand why, if you are extremely left and you don't like Trump, why you'd want to splatter him with a bunch of fact checks, because they probably just despise the man. But I also understand the other side, which is this is disgusting totalitarianism, telling a man what he can and cannot say. That's horrible. And you're right. It is 1984. They have the thought police. The one thing that I'd like to add to the thought police concept in 1984 is the memory hole. I don't know if you remember the memory hole in the book. I'll have to Uh, go back and reread it. It's been, I probably read that book in the 90s and it had a massive influence. I think I need to go back and read it now because it's kind of like a playbook. To what's yeah. happening right now. It but- is. It is. So the memory hole was where they, they had this group of people who would sit behind these desks and they'd read the newspaper. And then as the facts would change, they would rip the things out and then throw it in this chute called the memory hole. It should burn it all up. And that would be, it'd be gone for forever. And that's what Wikipedia is now. And so um, Wikipedia is the memory hole. So when history isn't, isn't good, they just kind of edit it out there and they change it and move on. And, uh, you know, Google will pitch them as their authoritative source. You know, Facebook pitches them as an authoritative source and all this stuff. Uh, so it's I feel bad crazy. because I actually supported Wikipedia and I sent too. money to them, like, I don't know, a long time ago. I did. Eight, I did five years, years ago. ago. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, this is amazing. You know, I'm really grateful for this. And I got that email from them that we're, we don't take, don't, or we don't take from big conglomerates or governments. And, you know, and I was like, yeah, I'll give a hundred bucks or 200 bucks or something like that. And now it's just been weaponized. And I'm like, yeah. oh my God. Like, yeah, I'm, it's I'm disgusting. I, I've tried to, cause they, they wrote some really awful, awful false things about, you know, parlor on their Wikipedia page. Now it's kind of a badge of honor. If Wikipedia says evil things against you, it's like a sign that you're doing well in society. Like you're actually helping people. Um, But like, you know, I went on there and I said, you know what? Anybody can propose an edit. So let me do it. And I did it really formally. I followed all of their rules. I even announced that I had a stake in the company. So therefore you're supposed to be transparent about all this. And I wrote it all properly. You can even probably still see the edits today. Um, I had proposed that they had taken a quote out of an article that was false that they tried to portray Parler as being an awful place, right? Um, 
So I suggested that they fix the quote to say what it actually said in the source that they quoted it from. And they said, it's close enough. We don't need to. <laughs> because what they had said conveyed a different meaning than what the quote actually said in the article, yet yeah. they sourced it from the article anyway and then refused to change it. So they it's the are context. biased. The, yes. Yeah. yeah. And so they just they they want to write a narrative and they justify it using their sources. On Parler's page, for example, the only sources they picked are either far left or left. If I had proposed Reuters or moderate sources, middle of the road, they wouldn't have it. They wanted only left or far left. It's crazy. It's political. And, and we're not even, we're supposed to be neutral, right? And we're neutral and they just don't like us because we're not sharing their agenda. See, that's the funny thing because I mean like, okay, you're the, the founder, the CEO, the owner, you created this. You're out there saying we're neutral. We, we, we invite people from the left. We invite people from the right. We, everybody come here and speak and they still just see you as a right wing platform. Like, mm -hmm. Well, they, they, what they want is us to ban conservatives and ban anybody that they don't like. That's what they want. And until we comply, they will continue to write mean things about us. And we're not going to comply because we're not going to when the right now, the left is kind of in power of the media and they tell you what to do when the right's in power and they want to tell you what to do. They're going to want to ban the lefties, too. So today, you know, one side wants to ban the other. Tomorrow, it's going to be the reverse. You never know. We're just going to be sitting here in the middle saying, this is none of our business. We don't want to get involved. Everyone has a place, a town square, where they can speak freely. And that's all we want to do. Because frankly, that's what authoritarians do. When people are in power, they try to put the other one down. So Absolutely. Okay, so let's take a couple of steps back. Talk to me about why you decided that free speech is that line in the sand. This is what you wanted to build your business around. This is what you wanted to build your life around. Um, why this? Like, there's lots of things you can get behind. Why is this one so important to you? I think I think maybe I'm going to blame this on AD, ADD. <laughs> Uh, okay. because I had like a whole list of things, right? I was like, you know, we should build a social media, which is what people expected. You get on there, you put your content out, you, everybody sees it in the order in which you send it, right? The goal is if I follow a hundred people, I should be able to see the content in the order in which they send it out. Um, I shouldn't have people tracking me for ads. Ads should be you know, only using data or content that I know that I've given them and I've consented. I shouldn't be tracking other things. And so there's a whole like laundry list of items um, that I said, this is what a social media needs to be. And I thought everything that we came up with as a team was very reasonable, you know, no creepy algorithms, no data harvesting, people can speak their minds, you know, it's, and then, and then my, you know, when people started saying, no, it's wrong, you must, you know, you must fact check, you must use authoritative sources, you must use the, I think my ADD was sitting there going, no, like, no, no, I, I can't do that. I need to do it right. I need to do it this way. This is the way it should be. Everyone should do it this way. And so I don't think that I went out and said, this is like the mountaintop that I want to die on. But it ended up happening because I'm sitting here going, this is the way it should be. Why are you guys fighting this? Like, what, like what's wrong with the idea that people should have the power, not authoritative sources? What about what, whatever happened to the idea that you should own your own data, not some company? You know, monetize yourself, not only monetize the businesses. So these kind of concepts for me, when I was getting pushback, they only made me more frustrated and want to, you know, pursue it further. Okay, we're going to take like a quick 10 second break. So what I want everyone to do right now is if you are a fan of this show, I want you to share it with one friend. That's it. That's all I need you to do. I need you to pause the episode right now. Go out there, go on Facebook, go on Twitter, go on your email, and I want you to share this episode or maybe your favorite episode with a really good friend of yours. Because it's no secret that the world, we're going through some pretty tough times right now. And what I want to do is try to be a voice of solution, a voice of reason that is out there to be able to help people. And I honestly believe that moving overseas and having a bit of adventure and having a bit of passion back in your life 
and moving to a safe, peaceful country is a real opportunity for people. So please, 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 if you guys can just do one thing for me today, I want you to share this episode or your favorite episode with a friend right now. I really appreciate it. We actually grow the more the episodes are shared. We need to get these things out here because what I think is that we're all building a really strong community together. So hopefully you will take this, you'll share it with your friends, and get a lot of value from it. Thank you so much. Okay, let's jump back into the interview. Well, and that's interesting because you would have kind of assumed that a lot of these things were already in place on other platforms. Like I think I had a conversation with my mother earlier this year and she didn't understand that there was an algorithm that sorted posts. That when you put something out, you know, you get maybe two to three percent of your followers or, or friends that would see something. And then if that got a good sampling, then they'll show it to another certain percentage. And she's like, that's not how it should be. It should just be, you know, I put something out and it goes in everybody's timeline. I'm like, that's just not how it works. I mean, do you think a lot of people understand that? Or do you think that we need to speak about it and educate them on how different platforms actually function. I think people are waking up to understanding that, but we need to keep talking about it so that everybody understands this is a manipulated media that they're on. This isn't a social media. They're Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, these are not social medias. They're manipulated medias. They're trying to push things to you for a number of reasons. Um, and I think they vary based off the company. One of some of it's ideological because they have a lot of people who are ideologically biased one way creating these algorithms. So that plays a role. But I think it's also they have a, a financial interest to keep people tied to the platform. So they need to get them addicted. It's that's why they call them users, by the way. If you notice, Parler doesn't have users, Parler has accounts that are run by people. You know, that's how we use our terminology for it because it's, it's really, it's true. Uh, but on those platforms, they have addicts, they have users, right? Uh, and so uh, they have a few different interests that don't align with people's best interests. And so parlors differentiated them, ourselves on this. And, you know, if we were to branch away from that, that's what we stand for. It's what we built a brand around. And so that's what people come to expect. And that's what we're sticking to. So we have to stick to it no matter what. That's our, that's our kind of line in the sand. Okay. So let me not push back because I mean, that's not, first of all, I agree with you. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely on your side and, you know, we've had conversations and I've been on your show and, but I, I'm just curious because from the monetization side, I mean, with that big data and taking all those data points and things like that, as a marketer, don't you think that marketers want to have that details that they're going to be able to make sure when they sell their widget and they uh, advertise on your platform that the right people are seeing it. How are you going to be able to, to do that without having creepy big data, like going through every detail of people's lives? There, there is some data that we can use. Like for example, you have said, I want to follow these people, right? So we can use that information who you follow. You said, you know, you're, you're connecting to the service. And so, you know, every time you connect to a web service, people can get like kind of the city that you're in. So maybe you could do some, a little bit of targeting based off of geography, but that's about it. Now, what Facebook and Twitter and all these other people do is they're monitoring, you know, your battery life on your phone. They're monitoring whether you're, you know, you're connected to Bluetooth, which indicates you might be in your car. They look at the name of your Bluetooth. They're like, oh, okay, this looks like a car versus a stereo in their house. You know, they can see the Wi-Fi name. So they know whether you're at a job, they can monitor your routines every day, maybe monitor a little bit of your microphone, things of that nature. That's what they do. So that's a creepy amount of information. Now, what we sorry, pause. Your microphone? Yeah, sure. They if you grant them microphone access, you know, they, they by could the just way, like lease it, listen in. I mean, they could, right? Theoretically, they could. I don't know if they are, but they could. And there has been a lot of reports that they might be doing this. Google Home, Amazon Alexa, oh, all of these things. Sure. I don't know how people have those in their house. I don't know. Oh, it's so know. weird. It's just and the, and then you, have thing, then you have services like Google Analytics, which Google Analytics is on almost, you know, I don't know what percentage of websites, but let's just say, for argument's sake, 60%. Okay. okay. I'm sure it's higher, actually. I'm sure it's higher, but yeah, let's go with that. Um, Google Analytics, you don't know it's on the website that you're visiting. 
but it's there and it's tracking things, trying to predict what your clicks are, what you're interested in, where you're going, where you came from and where you're at physically, not just you know your navigation on the web. And so tools like Google Analytics, no matter what website you're jumping to, so you might be looking at you know the Wall Street Journal and then you go over to the New York Times and then you go to Facebook and then you go to, and, and all across all of those, Google Analytics is sitting in the background saying, oh, this person's doing this, is doing this. Oh, then they go to amazon.com. They're looking at a couple of things here. All right, all right, now that you're on Facebook, let's throw an ad because we just tracked them around the internet. Let's give them something, you know, let's give them something good uh, because they've done a creepy amount of research onto you. Now, this is reflected in something called a CPM, cost per milla. A milla is 1,000 impressions. An impression is uh, basically if the data is sent to your phone, it's for someone to view, right? So what happens is their CPM is much higher or their cost per click is much higher than Parler right now. Parler CPM is low. We're at about 290, I think. Now other places they charge $20 or higher. And that's because they have this creepy data and they can guarantee to a marketer, yeah, we're, you know, they can go in the room and say, yeah, you know, I know we're charging you a $20 CPM, but you know, you'll get a lot higher conversion percentage than you will on Parler, which has a lower CPM. There's no downside to advertising to more people on Parler. You'll, you know, you'll get more and more and more people that'll see your ads on Parler than you will if you, you know, for the same dollar, right? One dollar spent on Parler will reach a hundred people. One dollar spent on, you know, Twitter or Facebook will reach maybe five, mm-hmm. you know, but they so are the sniper the- rifle versus the shotgun kind of thing. Exactly. And as we get better, right, as we figure out ways to work with people in a humane way, we can get more direct with our advertising, which will be in our benefit, not the advertisers. I don't think the advertiser cares either way. They're getting the same dollar spent for the dollar earned. They don't care. But for us, it's in our interest to optimize it so that we can make more money. That's all. Well, and then to go back to your location part, I mean, it's one thing to take someone's city it's another thing to take someone's like address like their home address or which street they were walking down or things like that i think that you know i'm a marketer i I have a business and i want to make sure that the right people see my products and services i have a family to support and i have you know half a dozen dozen employees but there is a line i mean and i don't want to cross that line and i'm sure a lot of marketers don't want to cross that line but I don't even think people are aware of what's happening, you know, in this big data and what people are taking. The, and, and I keep saying how, you know, how much information people can get from just downloading an app. So on Parler, people can get verified. That's one thing that we offer. Everybody can get verified. It shows that they're a real person, you know, it's just their primary account, whatever. Uh, And to get verified, you send in a picture of your ID. What happens is we just look at it, check to make sure that the selfie you sent is the same as what's on the ID. Then we delete the ID and its information. We store a checksum so that we can make sure that ID doesn't get used again in the future, but we can't read the checksum anyway. So the data is gone and we have a selfie and we have that checksum. So when someone says, hey, someone's impersonating me, we can look at the two selfies on file. We can say, oh, this person really is impersonating the other person, delete the account, right? Things of that nature, we can get involved, you know, stuff like that. Now, um, Now, that's not used for marketing. That's not used for that kind of information. And when people say, I don't want to give you my license to get verified, I'm like, okay, that's fine. You don't have to. But just to let you know, all we all we do is look at that information and throw it out. The address could be out of date. I mean, heck, you could white out the address for all we care. It doesn't matter for the sake of what we're doing. But you know, by downloading an app, let's say downloading Twitter or Facebook, the amount of information they can get from you for just downloading that app makes the ID basically irrelevant. Uh, they can they can get your approximate location using your IP. They can track how long you've been away from your house or power charger approximately based off of your battery life level, which they can monitor. They can you know track your Wi-Fi connections to see where you are. So they can see the name, if you, whether you're at home based off the Wi-Fi router's aims or at your work and then determine where you work at because most people when they go to work do connect to their Wi-Fi and the Wi-Fi is the name of the place they're working. So they can figure all of that out immediately. Uh, they can also get more precise information about where you are based off of, you know, if you're connected to Bluetooth, they know you're traveling in your car. 
you know, and they can know when you left your car to get back to your work. I mean, the level of information that they can get by you just downloading an app. And I could go on for like an hour about yeah. information. That well, they and can that, get this is, is all sick. without the things where you actually go on and be like, oh, I went to high school here. I went to public school mm-hmm. there. This is my favorite movie. This is my favorite band. All of that information that you voluntarily give them mm-hmm. for free and this, that you don't charge and- for. If you notice on like an iPhone, it says, do you want to give your location away? This is without that. You know, this is, do you want access to your microphone? This is without that, the amount of information. So if you say, no, don't give them my, don't give them my address or my location. Don't give them my, uh, my microphone. They can still figure all that out for the most part. Other than the microphone, they can't get around if you say no, but the location so they can't get your precise location down to one meter, but they can get it within like, you know, a few hundred yards now. So like, what's the difference? That's crazy. Okay. So, okay. Let's go back to the verification because I think this is interesting. So do you actually have someone like a human being that sits there all day and checks the verification or do you have like an algorithm that just automatically does it with some, we have both, you both. Okay. We have both. Yeah. yeah. So there's an algorithm that tries to run, uh, and it gives the person more information. So it'll compare to make sure their faces match with the ID, the driver's license, stuff like that. Um, make sure that the driver's license has the data it needs to verify it before it creates the checksum and then deletes the actual data. So, um, but that works in tandem with a person and the people who are reviewing this, this is the only job which in parlor, which requires you to be in an office is under camera at the office, the person who's doing it. So yeah, this, this is, is probably a good one that you don't want for yeah. remote work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. So some of them have been really paranoid uh, because of COVID. So uh, unfortunately, we tried to come up with a bunch of solutions and it just wasn't possible. So we said, sorry, you're working from home or yeah, from the office. <laughs> from the office. But to be fair, I mean, you can kind of understand why. Like that, that sounds pretty important. Um, especially like driver's license. Like I got verified on your platform. I sent in my passport. I knew all of these steps and I know you and I know some of the other people. So I, I trusted, but I sent in my, my passport. Well, I don't want my passport floating around there on the internet and anybody to get access to that. That's some pretty sensitive data, I would say. Yeah. And I got verified too. I was the first verification sent on the system. So I sent it when it was still buggy. Uh, but that's how much faith I have in it. So um, I, you know, if my information's on there, I think, you know, in my, by my information on there, I mean, just my face now at this point, because all the information is deleted. So, you know, I'm not worried. So and I assume you have like a whole process for like shredding the data. This is not just a normal um, garbage can on a Windows uh, desktop. Yeah, it's or done. Something. It's done immediately, by the way, as okay. soon as you've accepted and it says you have been verified, it's gone. So it's done immediately. So, um, it's, it's an interesting, uh, it was an interesting tool to develop and people really like feeling that they got verified, you know, verify means something on other places. It means something on parlor too. And so, you know, being a part of the community really means a lot and we're not charging for it, which is even better. So people can do it all for free and, and it helps the integrity of the site. So it's really a win-win for everybody. Well, and I remember also, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but there's actually an option where you can interact with only verified members. Yes. Is that right? Yes, you can. Yeah. So if you really are worried about people trolling you, and I'd recommend you doing this too, you can go in your app and say, moderation, only verified people can engage with me. And so if you comment on someone else's parlay, anybody can still engage with you. But if you com- if people are commenting on your parlays, only people with the red badge can comment. And okay. so that helps so they keep can out still a lot get of the, the content. They can still read my, my thoughts or my blogs or whatever. But for them to actually comment, they need to be verified. Yes. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of little tools like that we're trying to build upon. I really wanted to do this, but our privacy department and me are having an internal discussion about it, uh, which is uh, if you notice and you look at someone's profile picture on the right hand side, you have their verification. So it shows whether they're verified or not. I wanted on the left hand side to say what country they're from. And so it'd have a picture of a flag. And so you could say, you know, this is a person, they're a real person from the United States, Canada, you know, Portugal, whatever. Uh, That's how I wanted to do it. Now, we have to do it like opt-in or something and the, the policy and privacy and legal and I are all having discussions. I would love to do that if possible, because then you can say, wow, I'm having a conversation with this person and it's a real person and they're from, you know, the United States. It's not some, some guy in Siberia trying to trick me, you know? Uh, so that's, that's kind of cool. 
So. so what was the big pushback from their side? Why that is not permissible? Well, the, it's actually, um, it actually has a lot to do with scammers and spammers. So a lot of these scammy marketers will look at people and they're like, oh, this person's from the United States. I'm going to market and target them. You know, so we're giving away data that could be used to target people for and scams for or mm-hmm, and not charging for it. So that's that's why that we haven't done it. Okay. Unfortunately, okay. the bad actors ruin everything for everybody else. So with the verification process and and speaking about scammy stuff, does this stop a lot of like the the bots and the you know you hear, I don't know, different countries that get blamed for, for online spam and, and sending out to millions of accounts. Does this stop and prevent that? Or are there ways around that? Or how does that work? It stops 98% of it. Let's put it that way. Because we put a lot of restrictions on what, like for example, people can't comment uh, links on parlays right now. We're working on a way around it, but uh, the details don't really matter, I guess, for the sake of this conversation, but it stops a lot of it because what you do is you'd have a bunch of people in like Uzbekistan or in Russia or in uh, North Macedonia was another really like a big one. Uh, uh, yeah, it is. Uh, and they'll create a ton of accounts. And this is what they do on Twitter. This is what they do on Facebook. This is what they do everywhere. And this is a problem we've solved, which uh, I don't see the media giving us a ton of credit for it yet. But You haven't been interviewed um, about this yet? CNN, no, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> They're all complaining about Russian actors and Russian foreign people getting involved in the elections, yet you know we have a verification system that helps with this. But um, so, I mean, so like these countries are actively targeting people in the comment section on Twitter, on everywhere else, and they're hard to track. They use VPNs, they use all this stuff, but when they get verified, they can try to, they get verified, you know that that, that is what they are. And if they try to do one of these scammy things, they get booted and they can't get verified again. So they gave up their one shot. So now, you know, Igor's got to go next door and find Vlad and see if Vlad will get verified for him. Okay, and then so that's a good point. Through his contacts list. Can someone get verified? And then get verified a second time. If the if the uh, the passport or driver's license been deleted, how do you know that they haven't just gotten verified a second, a third, a fifth time? That's where the checksum comes into play. Okay. And so two things. One is the selfies on file, so we can tell if the same person's face approximately is getting verified again due to facial recognition. And so we can prevent it that way. But we also have a checksum of the ID. And so it'll say, you know, it takes the first name, the last name, the date of birth, and uh, and it creates a special checksum. I can't read the checksum. You can't mm-hmm. read the checksum. Nobody can. So it's all encrypted. But if it's it's not just encrypted, it's uh, it's uh, shod, um, which is a different. It's one-way encryption. And so you can't undo it. It's done permanently. And what the purpose of that is, and that's how you store passwords, by the way, Apparently, Twitter didn't know that, and they had a big password leak because they didn't know they had a shot of passwords. So stupid. It's like yeah. basic. It's like, by the way, it's like software engineering 101. Uh, they, <laughs> so uh, you create this Shaw, right? And so when you know John Smith, uh, who was born in 1990, tries to get verified again, it goes and it takes that data, makes another Shaw, and it says, does this Shaw exist anywhere else? And it goes, oh, it does. Okay, so this person's already tried. You can't take the Shaw and see that it's John Smith from 1990, but if you go John Smith 1990, you can see the Shaw. So it's one way. Uh, And so that's how we make sure there's no duplicates. It's the combination of both the Shaws and the facial recognition. Crazy. Yeah, I've seen um, videos. I don't know. I can't remember where where from. But like, basically like farms in China and stuff. And a thousand or... 5,000 mobile phones all hooked up together and some guy sitting on a computer and just like farming likes and farming comments and all of these types of things. And it's so weird to see all these things all plugged in and all organized perfectly. And um, yeah, so it's just kind of curious. You know what's funny is they have actual, those things that you're talking about are trying to actively target us every day. We are banning thousands of those kind of things per day. 
Uh, and it's crazy because they are happening. And the, and the reason we make signups so difficult is it's really expensive for these marketers to do that on Parler because you need a phone number. You need to verify the phone number. You got to do a bunch of CAPTCHAs and some other stuff before you finally create an account. And we're able to knock them out within an hour or two of them making the account. They're done. So they've got an hour window to try to market before they get killed off. But uh, we have, uh, it's funny to watch them because as you start targeting one country, you're like, okay, we got them all out of Russia. And then they're going to like Uzbekistan and then they're in Kazakhstan and then you can track them and they're all going to Indonesia is now the latest one. And so they're like moving these, like to go to different farms to try to, to, to do this. It's hilarious. That's mad. Okay. So say if, if you have a user base of about 12 million at the moment, give or take, um, if if you had the same user base on another platform who didn't have this verification, what percentage do you think would be like real accounts versus fake accounts on their platform versus your platform? Does that make sense? Is that, is that a real yeah, question? Yeah, let me, I guess I can, I can kind of put this into some perspective. Parler has 4 million people per day using the platform, most of which in the United States. Twitter, on the other hand, has, they claim, 100 million people per day. However, it's not clear that these numbers are comparable. I say 4 million, they say 100 million. There's obviously some discrepancy here because with our 4 million you know, per day, unique per day, uh, people like Mark Levin have a larger following on Parler and have more engagement on Parler than they do on Twitter. Sean Hannity has more people following him on Parler than he does on Twitter. Uh, Senator Ted Cruz has more people on Parler following him than on Twitter. Uh, and you have a lot of people share that same story and they're getting better engagement, better referral traffic. So when people are actually clicking their links, so these things are all, you know, real and tangible and verified by third parties. Now, I guess everybody's going to have to look at that and make their own judgment call. Why is it that a site that has 4 million people per day unique getting more engagement in these categories than a site that claims to have 100 million. How many of those 100 million are bots? How many of them are, you know, empty eyeballs? How many of them are, you know, just not very useful people, not very useful from a marketing and advertising standpoint because they're not clicking on links. These are all weird factors you have to put together. And so. So would you, you know, would you take a guess on those big platforms, the percentage of fake accounts and bot accounts? I think Twitter has about 30 million people per day that's actually using it, not 100 million. Wow. So that's 70% could be fake garbage. Jesus. That's my guess. Yeah. Just I, that's it's either that or their algorithms are doing some really weird stuff. So content's not getting to people in the best fashion. I don't know what it is. I don't want to make an accusation like that. No, but no, no. We're just talking have, in they, general terms and we yeah. don't even have to say, you know, a real company's name. Just I'm just kind of curious your insights of someone who works in this field and, and built something like this. Yeah, I, I think that's the case. I, I saw somebody who was competing in the free speech space. They have an app. Um that claim to have 60 million people on it. Um, but you know, 60, 70% of their traffic comes directly from referrals from Parler. And so if 60, 70% of their traffic comes from Parler, how do they have 60 million people if I know Parler has 4 million per day? So that doesn't, doesn't make sense. Up. That math yeah. doesn't add up. Yeah. And so everybody seems to measure these data points with different information and it's not honest. And they do it to inflate the number because, you know, you know, saying 60 million is much more sexy than saying 4 million per day. But the reality is, is it is only 4 million if you think about tangible, real people. So why are you lying? You know, you're setting up false expectations. Well, then I guess it's quality over quantity. I mean, I've seen this for sure in my platform. I've been on Parler for a couple of months and I post several times a day, same as I do on Twitter. I mean, it's taken me probably two years or something to get 4,000 people on Twitter. And in three or four months, I think I have 8,000 or more on Parler. And I mean, I put out something on Parler. I've had a couple of them go viral and get like over a million person reach with like 500, 700 comments. I mean, I've never had anything like that on Twitter. Like I do very well. Mostly, most, mostly my stuff comes out on blogs. You know, I get three or four million people a year who read my blog. But on social media, I mean, it doesn't usually translate. But I've seen, like, amazing reach on Parler. 
Well, that, that's what happens when you don't have these fancy algorithms. You just, you give it to people in the order they expect. And so when people echo, which is promote, so anybody can promote anybody else's content. So when you echo, when somebody echoes yours, they just shared it with a thousand more people. And if those thousand want to echo it further, it just has that viral effect. Now, um, I'm comparing this to Twitter because Twitter is very uh, hierarchical. It's very class structured. And so you have the blue checkmark class of people and then there's, you know, then you have the normal people. Now on Parler, you have everybody. They might have a gold badge if they are the equivalent of the blue checkmark status. They might have, you know, these fancy looking things, but they don't get any extended privileges. They get the same thing as anybody else. And so they have the same likelihood to go viral as anybody else. And so that's really the differentiator is that there's no class structure or hierarchy here. Makes sense, makes sense. So with this platform, I'm very curious and I kind of, I'm going to guess the answer myself, but I'll, I'll tee it up for you. I mean, when starting social media, a social media company, I assume there's nothing like a out of the box where you can just buy this stuff and put it all together. I'm going to make the assumption that this is all kind of like custom coding and had to be created from scratch. Do I have that right? Yes, everything is from scratch. Uh, there are some things that we can use as a base layer like a database. We still have to build out the database. We still have to make it work with things, but we can use a database, for example. Um, you know, we can use uh, a software programming language, but we have to program it ourselves and build everything out ourselves. We can use some, we can rent servers from somebody, but we still have to build everything on top of those servers ourselves. So uh, there's nothing out of the box. And if you were to get something out of the box, it would never be able to scale to the amount of people that we have per day. It would fail. So did you do a lot of the programming yourself? I did probably at this point, probably 90 to 95% of the iPhone is all my code. Um, I did that myself. Um, the, Architecture, I work very closely with the uh, engineers, our CTO and our head of server engineering. I work very closely with them. I'm not as uh, hands-on as they are, but I still understand the architecture. I can still do a little bit of high-level overview, and I can help them kind of problem-solve. Well, because I remember in conversations you know, off-air, you were saying, I work 24-7. I'm thinking <laughs> to myself, God, like he must. I mean to do interviews, to run the company, to have staff, to deal with the lawyers, all this backlash, which I've seen on the media. Like, I mean, if anybody wants to see something funny, just type in like different news outlets and parlor and see the comments and the... Yeah, the yeah you can see the teams are forming and you can <laughs> see their... their <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it is, it's, it's a lot of work. So you have, uh, you know, I've got to do the PR in my aspect of the PR, the television hits, the radio, the pitching, the coming up with the marketing plans, you know, working with that team. Uh, got the legal team. Got to work with the legal team every day to make sure that, you know, everything's in compliance. Uh, you got to work with the policy team to update policy, the jury, the the support team. I got to work with the engineers, iPhone, Android, web, and server teams, the DevOps teams, our vendors, our payment processors, our advertising, our t-shirt store, all of this every single day. And I'd like to respond to people in the comment sections because I like to engage with the audience, with, with the people Take that are actually on Parler. Yes. So all of that is part of my daily agenda. <laughs> because I think this is hilarious because I mean, people look at me and my work schedule and the things that I do and they go, Oh my God, like, don't you sleep? Like you must be so busy. Mm -hmm. And then I look at people like you and I'm like, well, geez, at least I'm not John. Like John's got a lot of work to yeah, do. Yeah, <laughs> I've got gray hair coming in. I'm I'm twenty twenty six or twenty seven. Jeez, I don't even remember. I am I'm not that old, and I've got gray hair coming in uh, already. I wake up in the middle of the night because I'm sitting there. I was like, I just got like two hours of sleep, and I'm randomly like remember something in my dream that I was like, oh, did I do this? And I'll wake up and I'll text somebody on the support channel or something on the company chat, and then go back to sleep. So like, yeah, this is like it's a full time twenty four hour a day thing. Unbelievable. Well, okay. So I, I had you on the podcast because I wanted to discuss free speech. And I mean, the, this is the expat money show. We talk about international, you know, businesses and entrepreneurs and investors and things like that. But really what the show is about is about freedom. I mean, that's the underlying theme that connects every single episode that we do is having more freedom, having more liberty. And obviously Parler fits so appropriately in that. But I guess what I want to discuss with you next is kind of like 
what do you see as the next big thing? What, what's on the, the roadmap or the horizon for Parler? Where are you looking to take this? Well, I think, like you said, because you're the expat money show, right? This is an international thing. This is a big, it's, it kind of transcends just freedom of speech and privacy online. Uh, Parler's in the same boat, too, because you're seeing a massive shift in the world of authoritarianism, I think, in general. You're seeing it in the United States heavily right now with the media on both sides and with the way the elections are going. It's you accept it. You don't question it. You take the virus. You don't question it. You, you know, you give up your liberties and your personal freedom. You don't question it. Now, I think everybody should have a right to question everything. It is their right to do it. No one should be forced to believe anything else. As this trend continues across the world, it's not just in the United States, it's happening in Great Britain, it's happening in Australia, it's happening in Germany, it's happening in France, everywhere around the world. You know, you're, we're going to need more products and more things to help people maximize their freedom. It's becoming more mainstream to be, you know, on a place that promotes free speech, on a place that helps people get their civil liberties back, um, and how it affects, affects your you know, audience in terms of the expat money show, I think, you know, they are trying to find the place that best fits their needs, right? They're not afraid of change. They're not afraid of giving up and going somewhere else. It's the same thing as that, but online. It's you're not afraid to get up and say enough is enough on Twitter. I'm going to build an audience somewhere where I know I can speak my mind. I'm not going to get punished for it. And I can one day monetize my following. Yeah. I think you've hit the nail on the head because you know, when I started getting into this industry and I started talking about these things many years ago, I swear people must have thought I was tinfoil hat, crazy guy talking about, you know, asset protection and protect yourself. And, you know, you are the, the greatest resource you have. You're the greatest asset. One life to live and trying to put everything in place and help people. Now I find today it's like when I tell people what I do, they just kind of nod their head and they're like, yeah, that's amazing. That's super important. It makes sense. Like, I think that everything that's happening right now, it's like the other side, or, or I don't know how to describe it. I mean, the enemy... We've crossed the threshold. Yeah, like... Everyone's, it, people are starting to wake up to this stuff. Exactly. And I mean, all the marketing is being done for us at this point. And I would, I would assume it's very similar with Parler. I mean, like... Far as I know, Parler hasn't put any money behind advertising. You haven't bought PPC or um, Facebook ads, not that they would ever take your account. But I mean, this is word of mouth. This is people going out there and searching for these things and looking how it, look at how it's exploded um, over the last you know, year, 18 months, year and two years, something like that. I mean, like it's, it's incredible. And I just don't see that this is going to slow down, which gives me hope and motivation you know for humanity honestly like i mean i, it's, I don't it's 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 both it gives me hope but it also kind of is scary that we've gotten to this point right um it gives me hope that people are waking up to this and they're realizing it's a problem because that means it can be stopped but you know like you you said on my podcast when you were on my podcast we talked about um socialism and the direction of that um I'm sure a lot of uh, your clients probably and the people who listen to this podcast like the idea that they are empowered themselves to accomplish things. They don't want to rely on governments. They don't want to rely on other people. They want to take it in their own hands and accomplish something. Now, uh, I think the trend in the world, especially the Western world, is the opposite. It's the trend of putting taking responsibility and offloading it onto the government. The same thing's happening in the online space, taking responsibility of thought, offloading it onto the platform, they'll tell you what to think and enforce that. And so from my perspective, you know, it only seems like the direction of society is gonna continue to offload responsibility and for a large portion of people onto these authoritative points of power. In our democracy, you can see that with more and more and more people are being able to vote, they're going to be voting for handouts for themselves. They're going to be voting for, you know, things to be more state driven. So it's only more natural that society in the Western world is going to become more socialist in nature, which also means with socialism comes a lot of authoritarianism, which means more controlled media, which means more controlled thought online, which means a lack of privacy because you need to know who to control. These things are going to continue going that direction until people wake up and say enough is enough. And I'm happy that people are waking up 
up to it. It's just sad that we're heading that direction to begin with. Oh, absolutely. I agree with that fully. Like, I wish this wasn't the case. Honestly, if, although it's good for my business and it's good for your business, your business wouldn't exist without these types of things. From my side, I wish it wasn't the case. I wish we didn't need to do these things. I wish these things were self-evident that privacy and protection and liberty and freedom, you know, still held value to the greater public. Um, and if I could give it all back, honestly, I would. Um, but I'm, I am glad that people like you are out there and you're fighting and you're creating and dedicating yourself to a platform where this is actually, this is actualized. Like this is a real up and working platform where you can practice freedom of speech and all the messy stuff that comes with it. And I like that you you know, say basically, we don't have all the answers. You know, we're learning and, you know, we're putting in new techniques and you take the temperature of your platform and engage with people and work with them, work with the people to make it something that helps people but doesn't cross that line. You know, I think that those are like super, so fundamentally important things that honestly, I'm very grateful. And I guess that's why I'm so into Parler because I'm like, this is somebody and a platform and an idea and a belief structure that I want to support. I mean, that's why I want to interview. That's why I was on your show. That's why I don't spend my time on Facebook at all anymore. You know, I'm taking that same amount of hours that I would normally put on social media. Now I'm transferring that hours to Parler. I mean, even now Twitter, like I, I was pretty heavily involved in Twitter for a while. And day by day, it's becoming less and less and less. I still only have a certain amount of time each day, but that's now being devoted to Parler. And as that grows, I think that you'll find more and more people kind of switch over. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, it, and it will, especially as we add more features, as we get more mainstream, which we are now, actually, um, we're going to see a lot of this. And one thing that we're doing soon is the diversification of content type on Parler, a big push for it. Because as you have made aware, um, you know, a lot of people are conservative on Parler right now. There's also a lot of people on the left. There's a lot of libertarians, but it's either it's political in nature, mostly in the United States. So we want to get away from that. And so one thing that we're doing is we're, we just announced yesterday Parler Dens, which is a place for people to get together about different topics. So it might feel similar to something like Facebook groups, um, but there's going to be a little bit more control. It's going to be kind of like middle, mini social medias on the social media, but about different topics. So you can have the uh, the expat money show, or you could have in general a, a, a den about uh, going to uh, for foreign residencies or for foreign tax purposes or for you know of offshoring and make a big den. And then all the people interested in those conversations can, you know, can group up there and have conversations about that and share information with one another. And so uh, we got a lot of cool stuff to expand it further, but it's going to be more of a diversification of content, which is going to be cool because people go on Twitter to announce things to the world and to read about it. But that's it. They go on Parler to read the news. But now they can not only do that, they can organize family dens so they can share photos with each other so that they don't have Mark Zuckerberg sitting in the background creeping on their uh, their vacation to Hawaii. You know, they can have all of these things in one place, uh, you know, and it's going to be really cool. Yeah, I'm excited for all the new features that are going to be rolled out. And I mean, it's, it's funny, too, because I mean, I have to re um, up, not upload, re uh, reboot the app sometimes. And I mean, there's new updates like every couple of days and then things have changed and I see things in a different place. So, I mean, it's all being condensed so fast, the changes that are happening. Cause I guess you guys are getting like real time data of what's working and what's not working. Yeah. And, and we're adjusting fast and yeah. radically. <laughs> it's like big time. I mean, like you guys are nimble, like really, really nimble. I mean, I just get used to, or I not even get used to something, but like, I'll see something. I'm like, Oh, that's kind of not nice. Or I don't, that doesn't flow very well. And then, I mean, two days later it's fixed. Like I don't even have to say anything or I I'll message something to, to Remzo or something like that. And then, I mean, it's fixed like two or three days later. Like that's mad. I mean, that's so, and it's so exciting to kind of be part of that and to know that your voice is being heard. I mean, try to send a support ticket on Facebook. I mean, mm -hmm. 
forget about it. Like oh, you'll you never can try hear to about send them. support tickets to us too. It's just the support tickets are probably not the best way. It's easier when you're on parlor and you know that the founder is going to be acting and then like engaging with people, you know, that the employees are actively listening to people and engaging with people. It's different. We have got the temperature of the room and we're trying to react quickly and grow this thing out. So it's, it's a different, it's like a, it's like a home. It's a place where people kind of get together and, and everyone knows everything, you know, as a community. And that's the difference is that's why we do this. But I mean, you just hit the, like you just said it there, community, because I mean, I don't feel like Twitter or Facebook or other places are community because I don't feel like they respect me at all. The, the founders and the people who create the platform. But I mean, with Parler, that's not just like, it's not just that I have a feeling I'm part of the community. I mean, look at the comments on there. People are constantly going, oh my God, I love this. Parler's amazing. Parler's amazing. Probably your most popular hashtag on there is Parler. Like, I mean, like, <laughs> like it, it's bad, you know, it just, it, mm -hmm. people are really getting involved in this, um, which is exciting to see, I, which is really mm -hmm. exciting to see. Thank you. Well, and it's going to keep growing and we're going to have more stuff. Definitely. And it'll keep coming out. And, and we'll, you're going to see, you know, over the next year, what we, what we have today is going to look entirely different a year from now. It's going to be much bigger, much better, and uh, a lot more cool things than you'll see on any other social platform. LinkedIn just put in stories. It took them two, two and a half, three years. And the first thing, the only thing they came up with was stories. Who wants stories on LinkedIn? That's it? That's all you guys got at Microsoft? You know, in, in a year from now, we're going to have a lot more things uh, without disclosing too much. Dens alone is going to be massive in terms of uh, a feature upgrade. So it'll be cool. Amazing. So everybody, please go follow at John on Parlor. Follow me at Mikkel Thorpe. Um, John, if people want to reach out to you, if they want to do anything on top of that, where should we send them? Uh, well, it depends. I mean, if, if you want to talk with me, uh, best time to do it is on parlor in the middle of the night. Cause I'll actually see the notifications. So my engagement's the lowest. So, uh, you can reach me there. Um, but, uh, in general, just jump on parlor and start talking with people. You'll find us, you'll be able to reach out and whatever you need. And, uh, we welcome everybody there. Perfect. Thank you so much, John. Amazing conversation. Super fascinating. And, uh, I really appreciate your time. I'll talk to you soon, okay? Thank you. Bye. I have a very big announcement. After a ton of requests for a place for expat and expat hopefuls to network and get to know each other, I decided to start a new Facebook group. It's called the Expat Money Forum, and it's 100% free to join. We literally just started the group, so you can really network and get to know the individuals there. We will be keeping a very close eye on this group, and I already have three awesome moderators volunteer to help me out. So to make it easy on you, I set up a really simple redirect link. All you have to do to join this group right now is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash forum. We already have a bunch of previous guests from my show in the group, so you can ask your questions directly to the professionals or get help from the people who are on the ground in the country you are interested in being an expat in. So I hope that you will join us in our new Facebook group by going to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash forum, and I will see you there. Thank you so much for listening to today's interview. Talk soon. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to 
to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.